Kelly, we are going to record. Okay. So shut up. Yeah, so shut up. You should be quiet about your zombie show. Vampires, Mike. Oh, I'm sorry. Vampires. vampires. I'm getting all things confused. <laughs> she didn't die on Scream. She it means she didn't die. Yeah, we watched Scream this week. I told you that's how horror movies work. <laughs> so every episode is going to start yes. now. <laughs> This is the I Read Comic Books Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Rappin. With me this week are two ghastly ghouls craving my living flesh for reasons I will never understand. Brian Murray. Brains. And Kara Shamborski. <laughs> oh my god. Um, we have to pause, folks. Um, I don't know what's happening, but no, I think these zombies are here to talk with me about comic books. I'm very excited about it. I'm ready to legally mandate, ask my question that I have to ask every week. How have you been? How have comic books been? Let's start with Zombie Brian. Uh, I've been really good. Um, you know, it's it's fall season, so I've got my flannel on. I've gone full Michigan. Um, nice. But I also had a nice uh, trip down memory lane this week because uh, the first volume of the Animorphs graphic novel came out. Oh, snap. And I have been uh, generously borderline obsessed with these books <laughs> since <laughs> elementary school. Like I, I, I remember getting book number six at the grocery store because this is back when they had all the little paperback novels at the grocery store checkout mm-hmm. and reading it on the car ride on on the way to vacation. Like the first fan fiction I ever wrote was for Animorphs. The series nice. is huge for me. So when I found out they were making a graphic novel, I was very excited and a little, you know, uh, we'll say afraid because it had the potential to be very bad and i'm excited (laughs) to report that it was in fact great well that's good because the cover of those books would make me think that there was a lot of potential to be bad oh like like, (laughs) in the books they talk about how like turning into animals or morphing to use their terminology Mm -hmm. is like horrifying to behold like it's awful to look upon and that is true in this in this graphic novel oh my god the, the there are like mid transformation scenes where like somebody has half a bird face or like a human mouth on the end of a horse muzzle. It's no, oh no, so, it's amazing. So perhaps not for children like the books originally were. Well, I mean, one of the first things that happens in the books is our main, you know, middle schoolers watch an alien get eaten alive by another alien. Nice. So whether or not these were actually four kids is probably up for debate. <laughs> but uh it is it is it's a little grosser to see than it is to have described, but right. I, I, I don't think it's that bad. There's a lot of like bone crunching noises. Ugh. Um <laughs> I mean I've read Immortal Hulk. I kind of get what you mean in a little in a little capacity. Yeah, this is nowhere near as bad as Immortal Hulk. <laughs> Oh, okay, okay, that's good. No I mean, one's for those face who... gets burned off with acid or anything. Like, Right, right. I was going to say, for those who don't know, if you haven't read Immortal Hulk, there are some very interesting choices for transformation scenes as Bruce Banner becomes the Hulk, and it is horrifying to behold. Yeah, but uh, no, this Animorphs Volume 1, uh, it's called The Invasion. I hope that they plan on doing more of these because I will buy every single one of them. <laughs> oh, I should probably give uh, credit where it's due. Uh 
the original book was written by K.A. Applegate and her husband, Michael Grant. And uh, they they collaborated on this as well uh, with the illustrator, Chris Grine. Very cool. I, I didn't know that there was more Animorphs content out there. Like, that's that's kind of exciting. They, they actually just started putting out audiobooks uh, last year as well. Oh. Yeah, so I, I, have the, I have the first couple of those. I feel like the last couple of years, uh, as, as part of the collective millennial yearning for simpler times when we weren't crushed by student debt and everything else that's now going on. <laughs> Everyone's <laughs> like, but the 90s... Um, so definitely noticed more more Animorphs chatter in general uh, yeah, more yeah. recently. So comes as no surprise. And, and especially because, you know, J.K. Rowling being the raging transphobe that she is, mm-hmm. uh, we're looking for a more positive role model. <laughs> yeah. yeah, to say the least. Well, I guess on that sour note, Kara, <laughs> how are you? How have comic books been? Oh, now that we've brought up again my childhood, like now adult trauma. Thanks, yeah. Brian. <laughs> so, Anytime. Oh, my God. Um, how have I been? Um, the older I get, the more I enjoy Halloween. And like, I always liked it as a kid. and was always like, yeah, seasonal spooky. But I always considered myself like a hardcore Christmas person. And mm-hmm. as I as I mature, like I'm still a Christmas person, but every year Halloween gets bigger and bigger in my scale of importance. So uh, you're gonna lose it when you hear about this uh, claymation stop motion movie from the '90s. Uh. I have been listening <laughs> to the Nightmare Before Christmas soundtrack on a loop since October first, <laughs> and I have to say. Um, so they they reissued that soundtrack in 2005. I think that's the version that's streaming on Spotify. And Sir Patrick Stewart re-recorded the intro to the film and then also oh. recorded an outro. And I cry every fucking time because he is such a good voice actor that he is able to put so much nuance into this like this outro that's like a nice bookend to the film that you never knew existed and then you hear it Mm -hmm. and you're like oh my god mind blown so very firmly in that zone i have purchased multiple disney halloween items of clothing this year and have been living in them (laughs) and uh, uh, the most recent one that i got um it's it's from this uh indie company called my oh my supply company and i have a problem when it comes to their stuff because it's really cute and i'm like but i'm supporting a small business instead of the corporate behemoth that is disney (laughs) and um so their latest is this uh this sweatshirt commemorating the halloween themed parade at the parks boo to you and there's a, a pumpkin shaped like a Mickey Mouse on it. And when I opened the package with this sweatshirt in it, my mom was like, what is on your shirt? <laughs> I was like, do you not obviously see that this is a pumpkin Mickey? And I think it's just too, like, does not compute because there's the, the two extra ears where pumpkins do not have ears. So I understand uh. <laughs> that, you know. If you don't know what it is, it is kind of weird and horrifying, but it's Halloween, so that kind of works. Um, right, right. So in keeping with my Halloween theme, I'm trying to read some more uh, spooky comics. This is usually the time of year when I just want to bury myself in Hellboy comics. Um, mm-hmm. I did uh, revisit Black Magic Volume 1, which when it first came out um, a few years ago, I loved and then forgot about 
Um, so I was excited to see that there was a volume two. So uh, this week I read volumes one and two. Uh, this is a series by Greg Rucka and Nicholas Scott. And it is about a present day witch who is a detective. And murder happens and it's magical murder and Mm -hmm. there's like reincarnation stuff and like a lot of nice world building and like the the creators very definitely did a lot of research on like modern witch practices to like make it as accurate as a book about magic existing in today's world can be and um uh it is all done in grayscale so it's got like a nice like classic monster-ish movie vibe and um i think way less distracting than a color-filled book would be because mm-hmm. yeah, you really it's very just... moody yes perfect word for it so i have to say now that i've like sort of caught up in terms of the trades i am like more or less completely on board with what's happening except there was this one page where i was like did we have to you see like a flashback for our our witch uh protagonist like coming of age at age 13 and she like gets submerged in this pool where she see is like confronted by all her past lives but it's like Mm -hmm. a double page spread where she is like totally naked except for like three of the tiniest bubbles you've ever seen in your life covering Mm. certain areas and i'm like look i like i get it like human human bodies don't necessarily have to be sexualized but like this is a 13 year old girl do you really have to show like her entire naked body like uh, like you can imply that that character is naked without showing it on the page the whole body like uh, anyway so that uh, that bothered me but like everything else I think is very well done. Um, I, I, I've liked uh, Nicholas Scott's art ever since uh, she did some work for DC about 10 years ago on like Secret Six. And I want to say she did a couple issues of Birds of Prey, but like for sure Secret Six. And um, she's just like these very strong noses on her characters. It's like every time I see one of those noses, I'm like, Nicholas Scott. <laughs> <laughs> so that was a fun a fun series to to revisit and um oh yeah get a little more into yeah i've I've definitely been meaning to reread that series since i know volume two was out i think all the issues for the first two arcs are out so i need to actually go back and read them because i was reading it month to month and then they took a big long break in the middle of the second arc i think and so i just have no idea what's going on yeah um so maybe i'll have to i'll dig back into that this month but worth a uh, yeah i'm i'm excited um but yeah, for me, um, I have been all right. I've been like fighting like an earache oh. like for like a week, which is awful. Like I wouldn't wish an earache on my worst foe, I think. <laughs> um, it's bad. Uh, so I've been like really tired and all I wanted to do is just read and or like watch TV and not read a lot of comics. But I did read some stuff. I got this short box um, Kickstarter in the mail that came in a little while ago. And I think I talked about it on the last uh, episode of the show but i sat down and read one of the books from that called pipette and dudley the charming dog adventure uh this is by charlotte may and it's a little ogn about a quaint little life like done in a very round and bubbly like paint style um i don't know how to describe it because like the words that i want to use are like insulting 
like that's oh. <laughs> which is that but that's not what i mean because it's like it's really fun it reminds me of like adventure time um but it's all really simple um there's like no line work it's just paint so it feels like everything is kind of matted together but it's really fun and exciting for some reason i don't like that's the only way i can think to describe it um but the story is that we meet a character named princess pipette she's a princess slash social media influencer and her best friend is a dog named dudley and they're the best of friends they do everything together um when princess pipette needs to put things on instagram you know dudley's there to take photos for her because he's a dog i guess i don't know um but when princess pipette decides she wants to participate in an eligible bachelor showcase she ends up meeting someone named dj prince kyle and he's a nice chap who's pretty cool i'm pretty sure at some point he skateboards just to be cool um in the story and as they this relationship kind of buds from their meeting at this eligible bachelor showcase uh prince princess pipette spends less time with dudley and dudley begins to act out he goes to hang out with some street dogs and he ends up making friends and he has to learn to kind of deal with being a person who has a friend who's in a relationship but also dealing with his new friends and kind of living a life that was once very close with one person and now is separate because people's lives change and you can't control everyone in the world. And for a little tiny book, I feel like there's a lot of explanation of like growth and 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 I guess growing in general. Um, and I had it was I had a really good time reading it. So um, if you get a chance, check it out uh, from the Shortbox Press. It's really really nice. It's a little expensive because I think it's a very 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 limited run. But um, I had a lot of fun reading it. So that's uh, that's the only book that I read this week. Outside of One Piece, my One Piece update this week <laughs> is I'm on chapter nine thirty seven. Xander. Just like last week, go ahead and roll that theme. I'd love to, really. <laughs> but right now, I'm too busy laughing. <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, yeah, so <laughs> I guess let's uh, let's talk about comics that came out this up uh, that are coming out this upcoming week. Comics are dropping on October 14, 2020. Also, my birthday. Brian, Ooh. what are you excited for this upcoming week? Uh, besides you joining me in the hell that is 32. Um, <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> This week, I'm looking forward to uh, Life is Strange, Partners in Time, number one. Uh, this is, it's it's that classic comic book thing where it's a new number one that is also just the continuation of the old series. Right. So, that's fun. Uh, Listen, Lock and Key was great, okay? And they did it <laughs> six, seven, eight times. It's fine. <laughs> uh, we've got uh, writer Emma Viacelli and uh, artist Claudia Leonardi, along with colorist Andrea Izzo, returning. So I know that the I know this team I trust. Our our main character Max Caulfield, uh, without giving too many spoilers, is in a different universe than the one she was born into, and so this is kind of her trying to find her way back home, uh, while also touring the country following a pirate themed punk band, cool. which yeah is exactly the kind of thing I would do if I was a fictional twenty something with no need to worry about funding <laughs> or you know a global pandemic oh my god right right uh but yeah i mean I, I i i love this book um or i love the the first life is strange series so i'm confident that i will continue to enjoy this one very cool uh what about you care what are you excited for this upcoming week okay so um this is relevant i promise but you know the phrase no one hates star wars like a star wars fan yeah i'm yeah. familiar yeah i'm familiar um right uh i tried that that one out to a co-worker earlier this week who is not as into star wars as i am and they were very confused and i was like no think about it 
<laughs> and she was like, oh, my God, you're right. <laughs> um, so um, so I bring up that phrase to just give everyone the most succinct possible refresher on my attitude towards DC Comics, because mm-hmm. traditionally they're my favorite. But in practice, I hate them so much. (laughs) (laughs) Like, why do you have to make it so hard to love you? You know? (laughs) It's so fantastic because whenever I think of things, I'm like, who are the biggest DC fans that I know? Oh, it's Kara and Paul. And then I'm also like, Paul just loves everything unabashedly. And Kara, I think, hates a lot of it, but she's still a really big fan. (laughs) I'm just, just, you know, know, it's really just... um, like a fundamental betrayal situation like it took me so much work to get caught up on the dc universe and then they just Mm -hmm. rebooted it again and so at that point i was just like well i invested all this time and energy and money and now you just gave me the finger while setting my house on fire that's cool Mm -hmm. so anyway um so I, i i i paint this dire picture to explain that when DC does release a book that I'm interested in enough to actually read, it's a big deal to me because I feel like, yeah, that's right. You come crawling back. <laughs> so, <laughs> all right. So um, this week they have actually two books that I wanted to mention. First of all, um, DC, it, it, the nicest way I can think of to say this is they generally try to make things difficult for fans. <laughs> like You really have to be like a committed researcher to know what's going on in the DC universe. That said there, they do tend to release pretty excellent seasonal collections. Like they'll do an oversized comic book. That's not quite a trade. That's like a collection of thematically appropriate stories from past decades. And I always think they do a very good job with those. Um, Sometimes they'll like throw in new stories, um, like every time I've picked up one of their Christmas, Halloween, or Valentine's Day specials, I'm always um, pleased. And I think part of that is they tend to not have those stories rely too much on continuity. And I feel like the rest of their line tends to do that um, overall. Uh, but the the shorter seasonally thematic stories, one, satisfy my love for everything themed, and two, are like approachable even if you haven't been reading for a while. So this wednesday uh dc the doomed and the damned number one is coming out um and i was gonna add this to my picks anyways um but then i saw one of the names of one of the stories contained in this compendium and it is beast boys to men (laughs) and when i read this <laughs> First of all, I lost my shit. And second yeah, of all, yeah. I was given an indicator of the time frame in which this story was originally released, possibly. Mm-hmm. And I and I pray that Beast Boy is um in a boy band, or else that's just a waste of a title. <laughs> um, and then the the other DC comic that's coming out on Wednesday that I did want to uh talk about is um wonder woman number 764 and uh i totally picked this one because of the shock factor because again spent a lot of time investing in dc comics and then it all came to nothing and a really crucial part of my formative years of like researching what was happening in the dcu um is the whole 
Wonder Woman kills Maxwell Lord and they wouldn't let you fucking forget it for like 10 years. That was like a flashback in every other comic it was like, hey, remember that time Wonder Woman killed Max Lord? That bitch, we can't trust her. So you can imagine my shock when I saw in the solicit for the Wonder Woman coming out this week that max lord is alive and apparently doing like a spy versus spy buddy cop situation with wonder woman in miami and i'm just what this is exactly the kind of thing that i'm talking about dc i cannot keep up what is happening um so anger and shock but also um mariko tamaki is writing it so Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. like like I can't totally hate DC because I'm like you are making choices that I approve of, but I'm still mad. <laughs> so as you can yeah. see, I just have a lot of emotions wrapped up in the very concept of this book. So right, uh, I mean that's okay. Know, I, I so I so I have to I have to check it out because or else I'm just gonna sit here fuming without actually having information like afterwards if i hate it i can continue to fume but just fuming about it without knowing what's in it i'm just that's not positive right. for anybody it's that it's, as soon as you think you're out they're gonna pull you back in every single time somehow that happens i get it <laughs> this is me and in the x-men um always <laughs> how about you mike uh, uh well this week uh it's my birthday so all the books are dedicated to me <laughs> um but no, actually, I, you know, there's a bunch of X-Men books coming out. There's a fucking handbook for X of Swords coming out. Like, what the fuck even is that? Um, I was going to pick that just as a default, but I was browsing through some of the hardcover releases that were coming out, and I noticed that Alex DeCampi and Erica Henderson are putting out a book called Dracula, Motherfucker. And all I could think of was, what the fuck even is this? Count me in. I'm picking this up because the idea is that an aging starlet in 1974 in Los Angeles deals is dealing with like some murders and apparently Dracula's three brides are involved and Dracula's coming back to life in the seventies. I don't really know what that means. Um, but I am here for it because Erica Henderson is wonderful. Like I love her art style and Alex DeCampi can do some pretty darn good horror if you ask me. So I'm ready to try this book out. Um, even with the price tag, like I think it's going to be worth it. So, um, I'm, there's a good chance I'm probably just going to snag this digitally, but um, nonetheless, it sounds interesting. And some of the preview art, like the cover alone just looks beautiful. So I am totally on board for this book. Um, like, I can't believe I'd never heard of this, but man, it looks fucking cool as shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm really excited to just see like the happy campy Erica Henderson art that I think I know in my head um, go very horror. Um, and if the colors palette is anything like the cover, then um, it's going to be really cool. It's going to be a really beautiful looking book. Mm-hmm. So that's what I'm, I'm excited for. Like, and you know, normally I'm not really someone that's like, oh, it's Halloween. Let's read spooky things. Because in my mind, like Halloween is scary enough as it is because everyone and everything around me is trying to play up like the fact that the death dead are coming back to life and they're trying to kill me or ghosts are around or it's the spookiest time of the year or witches are going to summon like an evil demon to come kill me. Um, Like it's not all about me, but I feel like I'm just going to get like taken over in the as collateral damage on some bigger event that's happening. So like I don't need to try to seek out horror horror things. You don't want to I feel like everything around me is just horrible. Um especially this year. So um I'm cool, but this Dracula book looks exciting. Um I enjoy that you don't want to read Halloween stuff because you don't want to manifest the things into reality, which is extremely witchy of you, Mike. Well done. Yeah. 
I, <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah, that's, that's a, that's, <laughs> I, I don't know where I'm going with that. But yeah, anyways, I guess on that note, we're going to take a quick break here. And when we come back, we're going to talk about zombie comics because it's Halloween and we're manifesting zombies now. Um, no, we're going to talk about zombie comics and what we like, what we don't like, some books that we found in our research and, and um, other things in that nature. So we'll be back in just a second. Before we start the show this week, I want to let everyone know that we're going to do a listener hangout on October 24th at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard on our Discord. If you're not already on the Discord, join the Discord. I hope you can make it. Uh, Myself, plus probably a bunch of people from the show will be there to hang out and just chat. You can jump in the voice chat, hang out with us. We're probably going to do stuff like play Among Us or some other party game or just hang out and chat. Maybe watch a movie. Who knows? It's going to be great. So if you can make it October 24th at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard, please be there. It's going to be a, a total blast. But let's get into the show. Let's talk about zombie comics. We're going to talk about not just the idea of zombie comics, but what makes them interesting, what makes them not interesting, what has revolutionized the medium, why are zombies such a prevalent thing in comics, and just maybe some of the weirder stuff that we found on the side of zombie comics. So before we get into things, um, I guess I want to say that we can't not talk about The Walking Dead, right? Obvious that is Obviously, that is the biggest zombie comic that we've probably heard of you know in in years and years and before the show or before we started recording i think kara had some interesting points so if you want to just describe your thoughts on the walking dead and why it's such an important comic that'd be great so okay um first of all i've read maybe just a couple issues of the walking dead and it was in french so i did not get the experience that Mm -hmm. um perhaps everyone else did and i I I just it's it's a comic that's not for me. Um, I totally get that. Uh, like and and I understand why people like it because uh, I am a huge fan of character driven stories. And the reason The Walking Dead is as compelling as it has been for as long as it has been is because it is a human character based story like you're not just it's like oh brain zombies trying to eat people it's like you're watching uh the surviving humans figure Mm -hmm. their shit out in like form their new societies and like that is interesting and full of drama i it's just walking dead never uh jives with me but we do have to talk about it however briefly because it is completely undeniable that the walking dead's popularity gave a enormous boost to non-superhero comics in the u.s in Mm -hmm, terms of mm -hmm. people creating them in terms of people investing in them as intellectual property to be mined for strip mined for television and film content (laughs) Uh, yeah. in terms of people just making a bajillion zombie comics because that was popular. Like it really did in a way that I think we don't really reflect on too often revolutionize um, the comics industry in the last 20 years uh, in, in a way that um, maybe hadn't like it, it, it had been, I think a while since um, financially there was that much, interest in a property that was a comic book that wasn't a superhero book and it just gave Mm -hmm, a lot mm -hmm. of creators even if they weren't doing a zombie book more opportunities than they had prior to the walking dead 
Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And I and I feel like like the the zombie the zombie fever zombie craze is well and truly done at this point. But mm-hmm. the, the the Walking Dead started in two thousand three, and that was like the beginning of the zombie wave that completely dominated my late teens. Yeah, like <laughs> yeah, you could not swing an undead cat without hitting <laughs> some new terrible zombie property and we ate it up like yeah i mean and there was twists on existing properties so how can we basically shove zombies into some other story um to basically say hey look there's zombies like i remember even just combing through the previews catalog you know in like late 2007 2008 2009 and just like it was just non-stop zombies especially when you start to get into like july october july august territory when it starts to mm-hmm. become close to you know the that's, comics that's that are gonna be coming out in october um like yeah so those those books would just like start to just fill up the previews catalog yeah um, just like four issue miniseries or something like that and so I, it, it feels kind of tired now i just want to it's just a kind of important to mention that like when the walking dead was doing it it was a an original idea at the time yeah i, have I just want to say, give him credit for that that because this is always the thing that I think about when I think about the prevalence of zombie media. Um, I I understand that this is probably a bullshit theory, but I read an article, a think piece, if you will, um, mm-hmm. maybe about 10 years ago that said that that posited that um, zombie material and vampire material become very popular depending on which political party is in mm-hmm. power because those monsters what? are manifestations of anxieties based around um, the political party that is most in power in the United States at that time, which I have so many questions because yeah. the zombie wave happened with the twilight wave. So that just tells me that America <laughs> has anxiety in general. Yeah. <laughs> No, I read that same article. It's really interesting. It's like yeah. when a Republican president is in office, we get more zombie material. Right. Because, Reagan. you know, yeah. the the shambling horde, so to speak. And then we get more vampire material under a Democrat because they're, you know, a feat in European. Oh, I thought it was because well, they suck your suck your blood, suck your resources and redistribute it the to their fuck? I- I am not saying this is a valid theory. No, I'm saying know, it's interesting like, to consider yeah. 2000 through 2020 through this lens. <laughs> right, right. That is, yeah. I, I I had more thoughts about The Walking Dead. Now I just want to talk about this article. Um, <laughs> well, but, but, so, like, but so, so The Walking Dead came out in 2003. Mm-hmm. That's war in Iraq right there, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So they're, they're it, and I think like the you know the popularity of Night of the Living Dead, Dawn of the Dead comes in like the eighties, right during the Reagan administration, right? Like I think I think this tracks. <laughs> it's like you know Twilight was coming out at the same time, but then the movies weren't really big till the Obama years. So like you can kind of see it if you squint, <laughs> right? Yeah, 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 yeah. I see what you mean. Okay, and like right now it's just the apocalypse. So like how everyone is all about Halloween. All bets are so. off now. <laughs> but um so so again like like brian said the walking dead now feels tired but at the time was kind of like quietly revolutionary for the industry as a whole um and and uh again creating more um content that was 
comic like from comic books but not necessarily superhero based for uh hollywood to make tv shows and films out of mm-hmm. and also catapulted robert kirkman <laughs> yeah oh, yeah yeah well it's interesting because like okay so like this is not going to become the robert kirkman podcast but i do want to talk about this for a second because i think kirkman at the time you know 2003 through 2000 whatever like 2005 2006 i think he was really trying to bend the expectation of the comic book reader which ultimately kind of was revolutionary in image for image because it basically allowed them to come away from probably near bankruptcy like i don't think image was doing well from the comic standpoint i think they were just kind of floating with some stuff and then walking dead shows up and invincible shows up and they're two pretty big seller comics from this one guy and what what ends up being interesting is that Kirkman spends the, his entire time writing these books, trying to circumvent like people's expectations um, in a way that doesn't like as you read it, maybe it feels like really edgy and whatever. But even at the end of the, at the end of the day, you know, you get this big, long um, series like Invincible and it ends at, you know, issue 144, just like out of the blue. And then you get Walking Dead. That was like a meta commentary in the way that it ended where Kirkman solicits three or four more issues of the series and then decides now nah, that the last issue is the one that's coming out this month sorry folks sorry about your pre-orders like i i really have to respect that because i think when he showed up on the scene he was really just like big middle fingers to like how the comic book industry ran and now of course he's part of the system and he's just another cog and blah 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 he's the guy oh, man yeah well that I, he, he he is in a way but like at the time i feel like he was doing some like really punchy stuff um that you have to kind of respect and walking dead is that exact thing that like he took the zombie genre, which had been around for years. Like he's not the first guy to come up with zombies, but he somehow made it into this really interesting thing by doing something that wasn't just about the horrors of the zombies attacking you. It's about the horrors of the life living in a zombie apocalypse, which I think for a Western audience was pretty novel. Um, I'm sure that other people had done it, but it, cause I think, you know, you think of world war Z, I don't know when that came out. Um, but I feel like stuff like that was also coming out. But for some reason, Walking Dead just really latched onto people. Like, I, And I think that comes from just, you know, writing a really compelling story. So you would say that Kirkman is now part of the very shambling horde he sought to combat? Absolutely. Yeah. He's that guy that got bit early on and didn't tell anybody. Um. <laughs> so so now that we've, we've covered the... Um, important backstory the backdrop of the walking dead um i i thought we should then talk about the uh mid 2000s big two contributions to the zombie field Um, i love it so brian tell us about marvel zombies and i'll talk about dc yeah i i love how we did not plan that it just kind of happened yeah well i mean i brought in i knew who i brought on this episode i'm just gonna say that Well, for me, it was a coincidence of all of the Comixology Unlimited zombie material, either being Marvel Zombies or Zombie Tramp, which oh. I just, we're not going to get into that right now. Okay. We're not going to do but, Zombie Tramp, but you know what? There is a world where Brian and I do a Zombie Tramp read-along series, and it's going to be awful. <laughs> but yeah, that's Marvel the darker zombies. timeline. But yeah. Marvel Zombies. Uh, cool in concept. I like the the idea of like all of your favorite heroes, but now they're undead monsters. Um, reading it again, uh, and I'm talking about the the first like Marvel Zombies trade paperback, like Marvel Zombies number one through uh, I think number four, number five. 
Um, but reading it again, and it's just kind of a a massive undead shrug. Oh, like the oh no. the the idea it, it it opens with like Magneto being hunted by all these zombies. You know, zombie Captain America, zombie Hawkeye, zombie Thor, um, and he's like, you know, cutting them to pieces with like manhole covers and stuff like Mm -hmm. it's 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 a very cool action set piece uh and then of course magneto gets killed and eaten by zombies and that's kind of series what's that you know who did that series no robert kirkman and sean phillips (laughs) okay all right okay Sorry, continue, continue. I mean, like, but it it wasn't just Kirkman through the whole run because there was quite a few different writers on it. But I just looked yeah. it up because in my head I had this weird itch that I was like, something seems off here. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, you know, with with the death of Magneto, the book no longer has a hero. Like there, there is no one to get behind, no one to root for in this book. It's just the zombies, you know trying to killinate the silver surfer and then they do and then they get the power cosmic and then mm-hmm, mm-hmm. they kill and eat galactus and then they are galactus and then it's over the more i hear about galactus the more i think he's a weak ass punk like this dude Whoa. gets defeated constantly right he's supposed all 12 to- of the fantastic four fans out there are going to come at you <laughs> 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 Oh my god um so so at dc in a similar i think that i forget if this was like right before or right after but i feel like they did their zombie books around the same time because again everyone was doing zombies um dc did their zombie thing with sort of a twist um and also this this series is i think representative of the um an issue at with dc that i was uh kind of diving into a little bit earlier um so dc comics is like i i find that it's a universe that is super uh fun to read if you know a lot of stuff about it but perhaps less interesting if you're a casual fan because their big crossover events tend to Mm -hmm. be like game changing for everyone we're gonna call back to shit we did 30 years ago and you had to have been paying attention and if you have been paying attention you're like oh shit but if you have not been paying attention you're like why did i spend four dollars on this so (laughs) um this brings us to blackest night uh cast your minds back friends to like 2009 i want to say and everything is all about green lantern not just being green anymore there are lantern colors for the whole spectrum of light and each of them has different all seven emotions (laughs) yeah so um uh indigo lanterns forever so they had these new concepts coming in while also still kind of not letting go of all the stuff that they were doing with um identity crisis which was i think way overblown for what it was it was like if you were reading dc comics at this time you had to have read identity crisis because they referenced it constantly so it was a justice league of america book where basically they were like oh elongated man's wife died because a villain killed her so you Mm -hmm. can tell already i 
totally think this book was worth making. Um, yeah. Heck yeah. Get <laughs> Let's get her on the phone. <laughs> so they killed um, Ralph Dibney, Dibney's wife, Sue Dibney. And um, as a result, the Justice League had like an identity crisis about how they dealt with villains. And they decided, fuck it. This is way too far. We're going to use um, Zatanna's magic to wipe this dude's memory and change his personality so he's not a bad guy anymore. So, big oof. Okay. Right. So, this kind of chain, which is like, yes, that's an interesting thought project. You do have these incredible magic wielders in the DC universe that, mm-hmm. like, canonly can shift the powers of, like, heaven and earth and hell. And you would think that if that existed in the world, somebody would think perhaps we can use this to do better. And Firefly fans just collectively shuddered thinking about this. Um, So, uh, so identity crisis, but they just kept coming back to it, but not in the, Mm -hmm. Oh, we shouldn't have done that mind wipe thing in the, Oh, remember Sue Dibney got murdered thing. Um, So with blackest night, a few, a few years later, um, it was basically an excuse to zombify everyone who had been like brutally murdered in the DC universe. Like I, I, I not everyone who came back was brutally murdered, but there was a trend mm-hmm. and it was just kind of like everybody who died all of a sudden had like a black ring, like a black power ring. And they came back as a zombie. And there was like a subplot where like Batman was dead, but he wasn't really cause they realized his zombie was fake. There was like a lot yeah. going on and just revisiting this summary. I was like, I paid money for this. <laughs> but like at the time reading it it was super cool because i was totally immersed in that universe and so everyone who was dead who came back to be like haha the sins of your past i was like oh my god like for teen titans um like tara came back with a ring and she was like a character in the 80s they're going back to the 80s with this shit like she Mm -hmm. died like in a redemption arc she was like good and then she was like seduced over to evil and then like super anakin skywalker and so they keep bringing her back and i'm sure supergirl came back because there have been so many versions of supergirl so it was basically just an excuse for dc to like have people feel emotions over people who had died through the Mm -hmm. context of this black power ring which admittedly new concept for zombies you just created a whole new spectrum of lantern rings so you could bring people back from the dead that's weird but you did it so yeah you know it's not like a virus or something no it's a magic power ring right because i was gonna reasons. say i think the other thing we could talk about is deceased right i don't brian i think were you reading that at some yeah point? yeah i've actually i've read all the deceased there is to read right now yeah, because like if we're talking about DC virus zombie stuff, that's the other half of it, right? Because well, Karen, I think your point that's... is that like the the having the, the the power ring is one thing, and I think that's an interesting, clever way to do this, bring people back from the dead thing, and have them be living zombies. Whereas deceased is just a straight up like cosmic virus or something. Yeah, so it's it's the the anti life equation. Um, oh, God, Dark side okay. gets his hands on uh cyborg and he's like ah ha, ha now i can complete the anti-life equation but sure he, he has like a like a corrupted sample or something like that so instead of wiping out all life in the universe or whatever his bag is i don't remember 
Uh, yes. He creates zombies that y- you it like beams to your phone, and if you look at a screen, then you get turned into a zombie. But that's then, mimetic. then also, it is yes, memetic. Thank you. That's that's literally the plot of memetic, memetic, whatever. Oh. Oh, the I, thought, I thought you were just dropping a, a big word. No, that is the plot of the comic Memetic from Boom Studios from like five years ago. Hello? Yeah, more than more than five years ago, yeah. <laughs> wow. Not original. God damn it. Uh, and yeah. That sorry, is... sorry to suck the wind out of your sails, Brian. That makes me really angry. <laughs> uh, oh after God, that, that, it is just again a... Kill, kill the zombie superheroes book. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Which is interesting. I mean, like, that book's supposedly doing pretty well. I mean, I know people really love Tom Taylor because he's written some very good books. I mean, um, it, is, it is a good read. Like, I do enjoy yeah. it. Right. I was going to say, I don't think that you would have read everything to date, as you said, if it wasn't that good. Yeah. Um, I mean, I know you, but I don't think I, I think I know you well enough to think that you wouldn't keep going like forever and ever if it was all bad. Well, we'll, we'll talk about my Twilight listen through later. <laughs> That's bonus content. Um, so, yeah. OK, well, so I mean, from Marvel and DC, it's interesting that they've also like tapped in. I think Marvel has also done some other zombie stuff that wasn't just like superheroes become zombies because i i remember reading a lot of that marvel zombie stuff i had like hardcover editions of those books because i thought they were so cool because as we said like zombies were like had a huge resurgence you know in like the late 2000s early 2010s it was just like non-stop zombie stuff you couldn't turn without some other zombie story being published which when we jump outside of the big two we also see that kind of being a big thing. Like, um, I, I care. I, I know in your notes you have Afterlife with Archie, but I think that was another big book that was like a, hey guys, remember things aren't just The Walking Dead. And well, w- when it comes to Afterlife with Archie, I mean, like, what a book, right? So, so okay. So, um, I I always feel slightly um, smug about this one because I was actually in the Archie Comics office when the idea in the room where it happened no no okay (laughs) this is pre-afterlife so what happened was okay this is the 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 beginning of afterlife with archie um so for those of you who don't know uh afterlife with archie is a zombie archie book but like it's actual horror it's not like you're imagining everything is fine and dandy in riverdale no it's like okay so it actually started out as a variant cover for, so at the time that I was doing my internship at Archie, they um, their big title was Life with Archie. And it was like a future what if series where there were like two different tracks. One of them was what if Archie married Betty and one was what if Archie married Veronica. And it was supposed to be like a slightly more um, grown up look at Riverdale while still using their house art style and not being like too adult thematically. And then uh, Francesco Francavia was commissioned to do a variant cover for Life with Archie. I I don't know if it was for an October issue, but that would make sense. Um, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So this variant cover was after Life with Archie, and it had some of the characters as zombies. And everyone lost their shit and was like, make that book, please. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like like the art was good the idea was good like it, it was essentially a joke and then when 
um archie the company figured out like oh man there's like a lot of buzz about this maybe we should do something with it um that's when they uh started making the afterlife with archie comic book which has now spawned um first of all the whole archie horror line of books and the riverdale tv show and chilling adventures of sabrina like none of that would have happened without the success of afterlife with archie the comic book Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so um so which and it is a gorgeous book frank avia's art is exquisite and that's why it takes so fucking long between books because (laughs) it takes him forever to turn in his pages it's worth the wait and I don't want creator. I don't want artists to be like busting their hands left and right to like get books out on a monthly schedule because I think that's mm-hmm. ridiculous. But you know, if you <laughs> feel you can start to feel a little undead waiting for the next afterlife issue, um, <laughs> so, you know, it's it's a great book. It's so good. So uh, it starts with um, uh, Jughead's dog hot hot dog dies. And he's distraught. And this is one of the Archie comics where um, Sabrina exists and they like sort of know she's a witch. And she like casts a spell to bring Hot Dog back. And uh, he comes back. But, you know, anyone who watches who has seen Practical Magic will know it's not really him. So uh, hot, cemetery. So uh, hot dog comes back and starts. And he starts by biting Jughead, and then of course Jughead is super hungry. So within character, he goes around biting everyone else, and so then it becomes like Escape from Riverdale and everyone getting away, and it's super adult, super macabre. There's like hints at um, the uh, Blossom Twins being incestuous. There's like some like there's like a lot of. Um, like queer romance b plot stuff going on like again all these elements that they later took and put in riverdale in chilling adventures of sabrina and these tv shows Mm -hmm. that people have seen way more than the comics this all started in afterlife with archie so in terms of like the zombie content itself it's pretty standard zombie fare except for i think the elements of sabrina's magic that are brought in they get a little Mm -hmm. like lovecraftian with some of that um which is interesting but like the zombie stuff itself is pretty straightforward it's just interesting because again my recurring argument that the archie characters work in every situation as long as you keep their characters because those tropes are so friggin' recognizable so um what it really did was give archie comics in general a boost and made people interested in their content again Mm -hmm. i mean that i was one of those people like i picked up that book thinking like what is this even gonna be and i'd never read an archie book in my life and then i got it like i totally understood it and i was more willing to try like chilling adventures of sabrina and the actual reboot of archie because i had read afterlife with archie and i was like yeah sure this sounds cool and i read the jughead series and all that stuff i mean i was even one of those crazy people who backed the archie comics thing on kickstarter thinking why is the publisher doing this i don't know but apparently it's commonplace today because have you guys been on kickstarter you seen that Zack Snyder or Scott Snyder book that you know let's uh we're not going to talk about oh that my but God. um zombies Mike yeah z- zombies <laughs> sorry back to zombies um but yeah no I I think it's interesting to hear you know I think in a lot of these cases we've talked about you know zombies being like a an influencing thing that kind of pushed things in one direction or not I mean maybe Marvel zombies didn't boost things but the fact that you know the the blackest night thing that was a huge storyline when it was coming out I remember everybody was reading that book mm-hmm. um, I even read that book <laughs> yeah and, and like I think DC's another example of just like DC knows like 
how to write get some stories in there that are compelling and i guess it just happens to be with zombies um but yeah i i I had a bunch of examples of books that i i I think that we maybe don't think of as zombie books particularly um i zombie which has a zombie in the name i know but it's a it's a book that i think a lot of people forget is like about a zombie and a zombie outbreak and stuff um and they made that semi-popular television show that came out on the cw um but you know, like the hero of that story is Liv, who, uh, which I think is funny. That's her <laughs> name. Um, this is Chris Roberson and Mike Allred put this series together, um, and she has to basically team up with oddball characters to help the recently deceased complete their final wishes. Which I don't think is as interesting of a story as what is actually on the TV show, where she was helping like solve murders and figure out where the zombie thing came from. Um, but yeah, like that book, I think was like a really beautiful comic that wasn't about like gore and horror but it still featured zombies i thought that was like an that's an interesting take on the zombie um genre have you guys read that at all have you seen any of the show or anything an episode here or there kate kate watches it okay okay because yeah i watched uh, i think i watched the first season of the show i thought it was interesting and they did some pretty cool like comic booky style art for all of the commercial breaks which i thought was fun but yeah that, that's that's an interesting book that i think is really cool i think that was published I don't think that was published by by like one of the big two. I don't remember who published that. Um, but uh, it must yeah, have been I, DC because CW and DC are owned by the same company. That's why they keep having overlap. Yeah, you're probably right. You probably know more. Yeah, this is Vertigo. That's why. So it was technically DC. Yeah. Um, another one that I think of that I, I in my mind, I'm like, this isn't a zombie book, but it totally is. Revival. Like as a series, yeah. you know, the the idea of that story is that like on January 1st, people, anybody who died that day get brought back to life on January 2nd and they're not dead anymore. Like that's the thing. It's like, and they, in some cases they heal and they, they don't necessarily cr- crave flesh, but they're not really the same person. Like they have the similar personality, but they don't get hungry. I think some of them are super strong. Like admittedly, I've only read the first volume of it, but um it's kind of about zombies and that's like a big twist on the series is trying to figure out why did this thing happen? Why are these people back to life? It's kind of asking the same questions that you ask in any standard zombie book, you know, like walking dead or, or beyond to say, why did this happen? Who created it? How do we stop it? Um, can we survive it kind of thing? Um, and of course the revival as a series, you know, takes and puts like a big bubble, quote unquote bubble around the city. No one can leave. No one can enter except for when the story needs it to happen. Uh, and yeah, I think it's a really interesting take. I know that it's supposed to be really good from beginning to end. And I do want to just call out the the Jenny Frizen uh, covers because they are some of the most beautiful comic book covers um, you can find in in comics in the last probably decade or so. Um, I, I really like that one. And then I just have, uh, I guess, I don't know, we, we are, we're kind of running out of tape here. I get that we still kind of need to answer our question. Like, do we think, you know, some of these comic books stand out or some of them like what are the most original but um some of i did find some very weird zombie stories if i can go through those really quick oh yeah yeah rapid um, fire, yeah so really quick <laughs> rapid fire there is a single story from west weird western tales number 71 um uh, written by dan didio with art by renato arlem called and the south shall rise again <laughs> oh which features yeah, that's that was the first thing that caught my eye. But it's about Jonah Hex and oh. Batlash and Scalp Hunter and Firehair. Um, they all rise from the dead as Black Lanterns. Oh, I didn't read this part. Um, yeah, so it's part <laughs> of the Blackest back Night. To Black it's all back to Blackest Night. But I thought that the title was like, really? <laughs> well, you know, it's so it's it's just uh, like one thing I will say 
for DC is that they ref- like not to not to um, make a, a bad pun, but they really just refuse to let their characters die. Like they they keep they will keep bringing back. They, they had a horror phase. They had they had a Western phase. They had the sci fi phase like they just any of these characters, they just bring them back over and over again. Mm-hmm. When was the last time you saw a Western comic? Never. But they keep Never. bringing back Batlash because he's the cowboy with the flower and the thing. And, you know, <laughs> there's no reason to keep bringing them back except for nostalgia. And they keep bringing them back. So sure. um, what I'm basically trying to say here is DC is a zombie company. But <laughs> right. right. I mean, and not just about zombies. I, I get what you're saying. Yeah. Um. There, there apparently there was a bunch of Night of the Living Dead and Dawn of the Dead comics. That really doesn't surprise me. Um, Evil Dead uh, had a, a ton of books between like 2004 and 2014. And especially they had a ton of crossover books. Like it wasn't just Army of Darkness or Evil Dead or Ash, whatever, you know, because that those were their own series. But they also did crossovers like Freddy versus Jason versus Ash. Um, Army of Darkness versus Reanimator. Marvel Zombies versus the Army of Darkness, um, Army of Darkness versus Hack Slash, Kiss slash the Army of Darkness, Xena Warrior Princess slash Army of Darkness. What, what again? That was what? the name of the sub of the series. Oh my god! What again? Um, and like Vampirella slash Army of Darkness because I think for a while this is the only thing that was bringing in money for Dynamite Comics um, because I don't think Project Superpowers was doing as well as they were hoping it would do because really. When you pick up a bunch of old pulp characters that no one knows about, how do you expect to sell those to people? I don't know. That's just me. I bought Project Superpowers, Mike. Listen, Kara, <laughs> so did I. But did you like it? That's the question. I wanted to. <laughs> I did, but did you? Because I'm in the same exact boat. I have a bunch of weird Project Superpowers books sitting in my short boxes that I'm just like, why? <laughs> I love those Alex Ross covers. They're beautiful. But what's the was the story that good? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. They tried. Um, let's see. Uh, Jesus Hates Zombies featuring Lincoln Hates Werewolves. Oh. Um, because I think Lincoln Hates Werewolves was a, a storyline um, or a series or something like that. Uh, Transformers, Best of UK, City of Fear apparently is a zombie story. Um, uh, a Very Zombie Christmas, which is a one shot that features a zombie Santa. And who knows what happens? I'm sure that it's not good. <laughs> Um, and the last one, I have two more. So one of them, Batman versus the undead, I think is an old Batman confidential story. That's just like Batman and Superman fighting the undead, uh, came out, I think a while ago, uh, the on sale date, according to DC's website was 2011. So maybe not that old, but it came out right in the middle of this, you know, zombie resurgence that we were talking about. Um, and I'll just read the, the 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 synopsis here. Batman fights alongside the vampire Demeter to stop a horde of reanimated corpses in a dark adventure. Dr. Herbert Combs has escaped from Arkham Asylum, and now he's heading to New Orleans to raise the dead. The only ones who can stop him are Demeter and the Dark Knight. Sure. Naturally. I, I, there's, there's a Gambit storyline that literally is the exact same thing, but it's just Gambit by himself. Um. <laughs> It's Gambit fighting uh, Brother Voodoo, who has raised a bunch of dead to take back a city that was taken by, you know, imperialists back in the day. And um, Gambit has to basically fight off a bunch of zombies to have a conversation with Brother Voodoo. And then they come to um, an agreement about how you shouldn't raise the dead in order to get what you want. And then um, they become friends and then their their friendship becomes another part of the storyline. Um, that Gambit book was not good, but I bought and read all of it. Wait, um, wait. So gambit was fighting zombies but 
didn't just bring Rogue with him and then Rogue could have just sucked all the remaining life force out of them? Or am I misunderstanding well, so, her powers? But then would Rogue no, become I mean, a zombie is the question. Yeah, she'd become a zombie. But also, this was at a time when Gambit was not in the good in the good graces of Rogue because he had betrayed the X-Men um, and he had stolen something from the X-Men that Rogue was like, how could you do this? We're all supposed to be a family. And he said, oh, I'm sorry. And he... Uh, <laughs> Then he <laughs> fucked off to New Orleans to go fight his ex-wife, who is the head of the Assassin's Guild, who is trying to take over the uh, Thieves Guild again. It's also pretty much the same storyline that happens in the later Gambit series that Clay Man did the art for. But in this case, Rogue does show up at the end of the day and she goes, see, you need me. And he goes, I really, really do. Um and yeah, and so now she's his ex-wife. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh my god! So he's so basically in terms of his love life, he's Batman because Batman's ex is the head of a league of assassins. And yeah, kind of. He's not near. I mean, like he's he's Gambit. Like he's not Batman. <laughs> Maybe we'll we'll just, dig into these Batman Gambit parallels for a Patreon bonus episode or something. <laughs> <laughs> that could be fun. Um. But yeah, okay, the one other book I do want to talk about is a series called Wolverine Black Rio, which came out in 1998. This is by Joe Casey, Oscar Jimenez, um, Eduardo El Puente, uh, Gina Going Rainey, and Emerson Miranda. These are all like individual pieces of the art. Uh, the story is that Wolverine takes a trip to Rio de Janeiro during Carnival, and I tried to read the comic plot or the plot on Comic Vine, and it was so convoluted that I don't think I could actually sum it up in 12 sentences or less. Like, it's so ridiculous. Like Wolverine shows up and he sees someone and then it turns out he knows that person from the war because every Wolverine story and then he fights some villain and then they all they die, but they come back to life and then they raise the dead and Wolverine gets killed, except for he doesn't because he stays up and drinks or something. It is absurd Wait. because the 90s for Marvel was a bad time, especially the late 90s, oh. where they were just trying to pump out any story they possibly could. But the cover is is really rough looking and I have to imagine the interiors are really rough looking. You can't find this book on comiXology and i think there's a reason for that so wait would we consider wolverine a zombie or merely undead well, if, he's never died though but, but that's what i'm saying like if he can't die then is he truly alive like if mm. he's just constantly regenerating he's not alive he is undead because mm. he can't die like <laughs> well i don't want to mess up your weekend but like mm. no it's weird because i think like when you consider what an undead character is right they have died and they were dead and then they were brought back to life so anybody that has died and is brought back to life so you could consider undead so so he he has not died yet and therefore cannot be undead he is just functionally immortal yes but except for the part where he has died a couple times yeah so he is undead (laughs) He has he's undead as of like the mid 2000s when he went to hell and but somebody was in his body and I think it was like a soul swap. So I don't know if you consider that death. (laughs) And then and then later, though, but I think to Brian's point, there was the whole big death of Wolverine storyline where he did get coated in an amantium and then he died Um, and then he was brought back to life. But there's a big kind of like block of unknown time when Marvel was just like and the X-Men reset their continuity. Whoever was dead, we brought him back to life. Oh, my God. So you, but you, because people get brought back to life because of the these eggs that that gold balls can create, and then time distortion, and then and, you know, all this create? other stuff. Yeah, the, Dawn of X is a really interesting thing, Kara. I, I really, don't think I like comic books anymore. <laughs> 
is, so no, this there is, is the a big of... question that if you die in the X-Men right now and they bring you back to life, are you considered a zombie? Listeners, I want, to, I want you to answer that question. Can you tell us? What do you guys think? Because I don't think we can come to a definitive answer today. Because the X-Men, their whole big thing is that no one can die anymore. So, like, because if they do die, if their physical body dies, Professor X has, like, a mental backup of their body. And so, they can just grow a, grow a new version of their anatom- anatomical just, body inside one of these eggs. This happened, this was alluded to at the beginning of Rise of Skywalker, and because of that film, I am over cloning. I was willing to concede cloning for Star Wars The Clone Wars, but once they cloned Palpatine, I'm like, you have removed all the stakes of this story. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So now I will feel that way about the X-Men. Oh no. Uh (laughs) But also... Okay, so how about that whole um, Star Trek transporter device thing where, like, theoretically, you're not actually reassembling your molecules. You're creating a duplicate of the molecules. So every time you transport, you're actually dying, mm-hmm. being reborn as a copy mm-hmm. of yourself. So what? I feel like we're getting a little deep into um, metaphysics and philosophy here. <laughs> I don't yeah, know we always out. cut the episodes off early so because inevitably we just dive into existential terror. <laughs> Right. So about let's go back to that thing about Gambit and Batman really quick. Okay. Uh, no. <laughs> okay. We're actually going to wrap up. Let's wrap up here. Um, <laughs> thank you guys for, for finding some really interesting stories to talk about for today. And if there are zombie books that we missed, I have a ton in my notes that we didn't even get to. Like I am a hero 28 days later, 68, uh, and a bunch of other stuff. Uh, so if you, there are things you think that we miss, you should reach out to us and let us know. Or if you want to hear us talk about more, scream on the internet about us about it maybe we will um but yeah i I guess you can follow the rest of us uh you can follow us on twitter brian's at brian head you can follow kara at kara sam you can follow me at mike rappin and you can follow the show at ircb podcast on twitter and instagram this show and our many subscriber only episodes are powered by fans like you on our patreon page you can join us there at patreon.com slash ircb podcast and if you haven't already, please go ahead and, and rate and review our show. Give us five stars on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Join us on Discord at ircbpodcast.com slash Discord. And make sure to tell a friend or two about the show. And make sure you join us for that hangout on October 24th at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard. Uh, Infinity Shred is the best band in the universe. They do all of our music. And Xander is a fantastic DM, a good person to hang out with, and just a great editor. He gives me some great notes. And uh, I just want to say thank you to Xander for that. Thank you to Brian and Kara for being on this episode. Thank you to everybody out there listening. And thank you to everybody who hangs out with us on the Discord. It's always fun to chat with you all. And until next time, comics are good. And so are you. Bye.